0: This is the Rundown, the Rundown, the Rundown, hosted by Luke Lipinski, 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Live from the Auction Community Studio for the next hour, leading up to All Aboard with Herm Edwards. I'm Luke Lipinski, Cody Fincher behind the glass here on this fine Tuesday evening as we inch closer to Thanksgiving on Thursday. We inch closer to Cardinals-Patriots on Sunday. We are not inching closer to an ASU football game this weekend, unfortunately. They were supposed to play Utah on Saturday. It became clear uh, really over the weekend that if they were going to play Utah, it wasn't going to be until Sunday Sunday. And then within the last few hours, it has uh, become evident they're not going to play Utah at all. So I haven't heard anything definitive yet. And, Bear, I, I don't think that you have either. I don't think anything's out there. But there was talk even on Sunday night that Utah and the Huskies might be preparing to play each other. Because the Huskies game against Washington State was already canceled over the weekend. So it doesn't make a lot... I mean, we've had this conversation, unfortunately, a few times. It doesn't make a lot of sense for those two teams, if they're fully healthy and they're only playing a few games a season anyway, to both just sit around if they could play each other this week.
1: Yeah, and BYU didn't want to play anybody either. It, well, After yeah. apparently their... Apparently, you see this? Their quarterback wears a headband that says, anybody, anytime, or something <laughs> like that. Something to that effect. And they tweeted that stuff out, too. And then they... I think it was Washington, actually, that was like, hey, BYU, do you want to play us? Yeah. Nah. Nah. Yeah. We're going to wait and see where, where we're at in the college football playoff. Yeah,
0: right. That The only way to save that now, if you're BYU, is to have your quarterback wear a headband that says, anybody except Washington, anytime except anybody, week. Anybody, some of the time. Yeah. <laughs> depending on our opponent's, opponent and national standing, and depending on the part of the season it is. Uh, so ASU, not playing again. This will be three straight weeks of this shortened six-week season. I mean... Normally, you're playing all the way back in September. Normally, this week, really, is your regular season finale against U of A. So now it brings up the question. Bear, you asked this before we went on the air. I think it's it's certainly a a, a point to be discussed. I mean, do you still want them to play? It's it's abs- This is the definition of a lost season bef- beyond anything we ever say about, oh, well, you know, this team was supposed to have a good year, the... The, the, even the 2018 Cardinals, they were supposed to be taking you know steps towards a, a rebuild and it was just a miserable season. They tried to waste it and just completely obliterate it by the end of it and just erase it from everybody's memories. But they did still play a season. ASU, a team with one of the best young quarterbacks in the nation, that's not me saying that because we're doing the show in Phoenix. Jaden Daniels is one of he was one of the most highly r- recruited quarterbacks in the nation. He was one of the best freshman quarterbacks in the nation. This is not a situation where it's like, well, you know, he didn't get him his, uh, his sophomore year, but they only played a game or two, so you know, his sophomore year just gets pushed back to next year. It doesn't matter. He was going to be here 3 years before he goes to the NFL almost certainly. Now it's 2 years. Like you just you lost that. You lost this season and it's nobody's fault and there's nothing you can do about it. But like Chase Lucas just tweeted out like within the last half hour, I just want to ball. There's, I'm sure that's the feeling with a lot of ASU players because this was supposed to be a special season and now they're 0-1 heading into December. Yeah, sorry,
1: I'm completely distracted on ESPN2. There's a uh, pro disc golf championship <laughs> on. Uh, so, yeah. This this is where we are But look, in, in 2020. <laughs> just looking at the short term, too, even if ASU is cleared to play, I don't even know who they're supposed, who they're supposed to play next week. UCLA and U of A are their last two games. Okay. So even if they're cleared to play next week, they're going to be going on, what, three weeks now without a full practice? I think I heard Burns and Gambo talking about that while I was driving in. I agree. If it's about health and safety for your players, not only are you asking them to go out there and risk getting COVID-19, but you're asking them to go out there and play the most physical sport in the United States of America – Maybe, okay, as a hockey person you might you might disagree. No, football's more of a, a uh, physical grind. But on on three weeks of no full practice.
0: Yeah, and they'd be playing, How is that
1: how is that keeping them safe? There's more risk now for injury if they play.
0: They'd be playing UCLA next week, assuming I mean, assuming all goes according to plan. And at that point, UCLA will have played four games, including three in a row. UCLA plays U of A on Saturday. They just played Oregon, almost beat them, by the way, last Saturday, and then played Cal the week before that and did beat them. Like, we saw how, much,
1: how, how many players on ASU were cramping up in that USC game. Yeah. And that was their first game, and they had been practicing. Imagine, they haven't had a full practice yeah. since the week of the Cal game.
0: I, I badly want to see this team play. I know I've said this before on the show. I know I said it when they were, what, they start 5-0 last year? When they were 5-0 last year, I said, I really want to see the 2020 Sun Devils. Like that. That's not an exaggeration because, to me, this was the year. And that doesn't mean next year can't be the year, but part of your window just closed. And well, I guess they were 5-1 and last year. But, you know, it's just, it's it's sad across the board. I mean, not just because ASU fans want to see their team. But, you know, you can look and you can say, okay, a guy like, a guy like Jaden Daniels, well, you know, big deal. If he's going to be that great, he's going to get to go play in the NFL anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess. But you're missing out on your college experience. And I know that this this whole pandemic, I mean, it's it's terrible in every sense. And and I know that it's hitting different people in different times of their life. And, and there's not a great time for it to ever hit anybody. But, like, I know everybody's got stuff that, you know, they, you had pivotal moments in your life that were supposed to happen in the last six, seven, eight months or whatever. And, and that's brutal. But can you imagine being a college student and you're just missing, you know, you're just missing years of college. Like you can go and you can do it online, but that's not the experience. And especially if you were supposed to be a really good football team, you're not even getting to play. I hate it. Yeah, this sucks. <laughs> that's that's the final sucks. prognosis. Uh, all right, let's get into the rapid reaction. The rundown. Rapid reaction. Rapid reaction. Rapid reaction. Reacting to today's top three trending sports stories. All right, we're going to start in the NFL. The Cardinals. Why aren't of the you game. starting
1: with disc golf championship? Well, I feel like that. <laughs> I've just assumed that's implied. This is
0: seriously. This is weird. There, there, have you ever played disc golf? I've no, played I once. have not. I've I played ultimate frisbee, but not disc golf. I played disc. There's a bunch. I shouldn't say a bunch. Now we're way off topic. But there are like five free disc golf courses around the valley. You can just go play for free. Wow, and it's not okay. nearly as boring as it looks on TV. But I've only played once. Uh, Kyler Murray limiting his action in practice. Did you throw today at all? And if so, how much? Yeah, just warming it up. Uh, you know, just uh, like I said, trying to limit those throws, but at the same time, um, make sure I'm ready. And more from Kyler. Yeah, I feel good. Um, obviously, getting banged up a little bit past couple weeks, um, but not today. I feel I feel fine. I feel good.
1: Uh, I'd assume you feel pretty good about playing Sunday. Any chance it holds you out, or is this just kind of precautionary to stay sidelined today?
0: Yeah, just taking it day by day, obviously. Um, You know, I throw a lot throughout the day, so we're trying to, you know, um, limit those throws and just, you know, precautionary take care of my shoulder. We'll get more into that game here in a few moments. Obviously, if Kyler Murray were unable to play, which is not what he just said right there, but if he were not able to go, this goes from, uh, well, the Cardinals are clearly a more talented team than New England, but New England's got Belichick, and New England's back is against the wall. That's the matchup right now. It would go from that to, uh, well, everybody cross your fingers because it's Chris Strevler or, I guess, Brett Hundley. I mean you can't even bring Brett Hundley in at this point, I don't think. That's not the case, but I think that the more... Realistic pressing issue is Are we going to see Kyler Murray who is able to be not necessarily at 100%? I don't think anybody expects your quarterback to be at 100% on November 24th, but is he going to be able to run? Is, is, is he going to be able to play on instinct? And, and Cliff Kingsbury, he was on with Burns and Gambo yesterday and he admitted. That you know they limited what Kyler could do from the Cardinals sideline in in the, uh, the the game against Seattle after Kyler got hurt, which was basically the first drive of the game, and we saw what happened. I mean, if Kyler, if he's not a threat to run, then he becomes not an average quarterback, but he's you know that takes away so much of what makes him unique and special. And if he is not unique and special. The Cardinals are not unique and special. It's, uh, that There's no more simple way to put that. So, you know, if he can't run this weekend, that doesn't mean they can't beat the Patriots. But if you have high expectations for the rest of the season, and I think most of us do, obviously the one guy that can derail that by getting hurt is Kyler Murray. And I, I fully, I'm not a doctor, as has been, you know, brought up about a thousand times in the last eight months. But, uh, but I expect Kyler Murray's going to play this weekend. It helps to have the couple extra days when you know he got hurt on a Thursday instead of a Sunday. But if he can't play like the Kyler Murray we saw the first nine games of the season, this game suddenly gets a lot more difficult. Over to college football on the national stage. The four playoff teams uh, were named you know, for this week and still change going forward. Alabama number one, Notre Dame two, Clemson three, Ohio State four. We were talking in the newsroom before the, uh, the show. What if Alabama had had ASU's exact scenario play out where they played one game, they played a good team, they lost by a point, and then didn't get to play again, so they were zero and one. I still think they'd be like fourth in the college football playoff rankings, but as it is, they're one right now. Notre Dame two, Clemson three, Ohio State is four. What is Ohio State's three and zero? And they're fourth. They're four and zero. Oh, uh, four and zero. Okay, never mind then. Uh, well,
1: why aren't they number one? Because
0: <laughs> Alabama. Uh, so that's your college football playoff as it stands right now, and uh, the Phoenix Suns. Lots of great talk about the direction of this team, about expectations for this upcoming season. We didn't really get to talk about this on this show yet, so we'll get into it when we come back. Kelly Oubre, unhappy on the way out, or at least made some comments to kind of indicate it. I mean, he pretty pretty convincing uh, Instagram post that he's very happy with the fans here, but he made a couple comments to The Athletic and to a radio station in the Bay Area, 95.7 The Game. Does it change your opinion? on Kelly Oubre at all as he leaves the Phoenix Suns. We'll discuss that next. I'm surprised by the reaction that I've heard from a lot of people. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 987 FM, Arizona FM Arizona's Sports Station. The Rundown. 987 FM Arizona's Sports Station. Okay, so let's get into the Kelly Oubre stuff. Like I said, we didn't really get a chance to yesterday. I would say over the last two years, I feel like we have a decent vantage point here from this job. I would say over the last two years, Kelly Oubre was, what, I don't know, one of the top three or four most beloved athletes in Arizona sports. I mean, all the way up until a week ago, a lot of Suns fans, a lot of Suns fans, hit the realization of, yeah, okay, this trade for Chris Paul probably makes us better, but I don't want to see Oubre go. So, you know, he's not Larry Fitzgerald, but if you're going over the last couple years, if you're just saying over the last two years, let's say, when he was here, which I guess would make sense. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense talking about him when he was in Washington. But just over those last couple years, like, Suns fans, Kelly Oubre was the favorite, other than, you know, Devin Booker is is... He's your team. He's the face of your franchise. He's a potentially top 10 player in the NBA. I mean, that's a different kind of, yeah, Booker's going to be your favorite because he's unreal. But in terms of just being the heart and soul of the team, was that not Kelly Oubre for the last year and a half? Yeah. And let's
1: face it. It's mostly because it's been a long time since Suns fans have had a player that has embraced Phoenix as much as Kelly Oubre did when he was traded here.
0: Yes. So... He's made a few comments since he left. This was to 95-7 the game. You just hit the nail on the head, man. Um, I can play for an owner, you know, somebody who actually cares about, you know, the organization and not just the, you know, the perception of the organization on the media end of it. Okay. I'm stunned how many Suns fans are offended by that on social media today. And for context, and I don't have the audio of them asking him the question but the question is a lot longer than his 11-second response right there, and it definitely led him down that path. Twice in the question, the comparison was made to, you know, Sun's ownership to Warriors' ownership. I mean, the Warriors have won four titles in the last, what, six years. They spend They just spent a billion dollars on a new arena. They led him down that path, and yet... As much as we want to be excited about this team, and I'm right there with you. Playoff team, James Jones is doing this the right way. They seem now to finally be, I don't want to say committed to winning, because I feel like the Suns have been committed to winning or wanted to win over the last few years. They just haven't known how to do it. Now, it seems like they have finally figured it out. And we still have to see them win on the court. I get that. But its it, it, they're at least trying to do it the right way. But like it or not, the reputation of the Suns around the NBA over the last decade is they don't totally know what they're doing. They haven't made the playoffs in 10 years in a league where more than half the teams make the playoffs. So that's just your reputation. You can get offended by it. And I want to be clear, the team is not getting offended by it. I'm just stunned that there is a subset of Suns fans that have like, turned on Kelly Oubre in the last 48 hours because of that comment and a couple vague comments he made in an athletic piece. You can get offended by it, in which case you're never going to fix it, or you can go out there and start building a winner, which credit to the team, that's what they're doing. Like, I don't feel like the team is sitting around being like, I can't believe Kelly said that. That hurts our feelings. But I'm surprised. This guy is a fan favorite and was a fan favorite until days ago. And I still, I don't know what the percentage is. I would still say 70% of Suns fans are like, nah, we love Oubre and, you know, Ah, maybe I wish he would have taken the high road on the way out, but he's still, he's, you know, look what he did for this team. This team really didn't have an identity. They had a great player in Devin Booker when Ubre got here, but they really had no identity other than just a team that was winning 22 games. And now it's like, it's not all Oubre, but he's a, he, he injected life into the franchise over the last couple of years. He brought some swagger to this team. He carved out an identity. You cannot call them the Valley Boys. Uh, you just, you can't. That's like, that's like Outkast breaking up and you still call them Outkast even though one of the members is good. That's like, I, give me a, give me like a it's Simon and Garfunkel breaking up and it's just Garfunkel and you're like, yeah, it's still Simon and Garfunkel. That's like
1: Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi
0: leaving Bon Jovi and they're still called yeah, Bon Jovi. That's what it is. Because DeAndre Ayton is a Valley boy, I guess. But come on. That was all Ubre. Why would you want to call them that? Just let's get a new name to usher in this new era, which by the way is going to be better than the last era. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying they can't have the Valley jerseys. That's different to me. And those jerseys are amazing. Those are not going anywhere. But I, I just, I am stunned by the fact that there's any Suns fans that are like, no, you can't say that about our ownership group. Like, that's the really? shocking part, right?
1: One, when, the, the day that they made the trade for Chris Paul I looked, I, I, I do this a lot. I like reading comment sections Don't, on, that's on Twitter. That's what I do.
0: Don't, you shouldn't do you it. What's
1: really fun is when the Dodgers, lose was a big game, go on their Twitter account and read the comments to when they say, we lost. Okay, yeah, oh, do it's hilarious. Yeah, do do that. Um, I read the comments on the Suns tweet about getting Chris Paul, and there are so many just like, screw you guys, I hate you guys, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, wait, what'd they do? <laughs> they traded Kelly. And now, that's like, now they're all, not all of them, but like there's so many Suns fans against it. And then the second shocking factor is that those people are defending Robert Sarver, which is just, I have never seen that in the last couple of years. Uh, Suns, a faction of Suns fans defending Robert Sarver on anything.
0: Look, this is not, not Marquise Morris leaving town on bad terms and saying, I don't like the way the Suns are run. Or this is not Marcus Morris saying it over and over and over again. And, and I'll say this. That question, Kelly Oubre was led down that path, like I said, twice during the question by the other, the hosts. I didn't mind Oubre's answer. If he's still talking about this five months from now and a year and a half from now and he's trashing the Suns organization, okay, well, then I'm going to take a much different stance. But based on that one comment and a couple, like I said, I thought pretty vague comments in The Athletic were I just kind of gathered – Ubre was a little frustrated at times because he felt like he was trying to jumpstart this team emotionally and not everybody responded. Again, you haven't made the playoffs in 10 years. If that little bit of criticism bothers you, then there's a ceiling on what you can do. Because the better you get, and this team is getting better, you're going to hit some criticism. (laughs) We've heard a lot of players, unfortunate as it is, criticize this team on the way out. What Ubre said is nothing compared to what they said. And I just, you know, you can look at it and you can say, no, I'm going to be offended. There must be something wrong with him. Or you can fix it. And I do feel like the team is fixing it. And I do feel like most Suns fans are still like, nah, Ubre Ubre was great when he was here. He got me fired up to watch this team even when they weren't when they weren't winning. He he kind of connected Booker to the rest of the team, whereas Booker was great, but they just didn't have any energy outside of him. Oubre jump started all that. I still I, – I love what he did for two years for this team. He said one or two things on the way out that weren't really that bad. I'm going to remember Kelly Oubre's time with the Suns in a really good light. That's me. That's that's my stance on it. I, I just – I'm surprised that there's any Suns fans that are like, I can't believe he said that. I don't like him anymore.
1: And he's not bashing the fan base. No, he he's was He's not very bashing his the teammates or the coaching staff. And he didn't tweet from a hair salon that he didn't want to be here. So <laughs> – Get over it.
0: Uh, Amin El Hassan was on with Bickley and Murata today, and he said this: We have this conversation every time anyone leaves. <laughs> at, at some point, you know, and, and I, I got into a little bit with Suns fans on Twitter. I'm like, at some point, you have to accept this is what's happening. Will it change? Can it change? Those are all different conversations. But to pretend it's not happening, where it's not real, can can kind of. I got one guy telling me, "Oh, Sarver's changed. He put forty five million dollars to a practice facility." I said, Uber, you've got to trade to a guy who paid $1.4 billion for an arena. <laughs> what, what are we talking about here? You're literally talking about, you know, someone who's gone around punching people in the arm, everywhere he goes, and then he's helped a little old lady cross the street. They go, oh, see, he's helping old ladies cross the street. You're like, yeah, the guy over there built a freaking hospital. <laughs> You're proud of the guy who's been punching people in the arms for helping a little old lady cross the street? And I. Look, I, I know that a lot of Suns fans don't love Amin El Hassan. I get that there's there's a bit of a rift there, but he's, I love Amin El Hassan. <laughs> well, I like that he speaks his mind, but there's a couple things he said in there that are just undeniable. A, we have heard this from a lot of players leaving town, not like all time, but over the last ten years. That's just the reality. And B, could it change? It's going to take some time. I believe it will change. I believe they're already on their way to doing it. Like I, like I said, I, already, I believe that in a lot of ways, Sarver has has become more efficient at, at building a winner over the last couple of years. I know they haven't really won anything over the last couple of years, but to bring in James Jones and to kind of just say to James Jones, essentially, you know what? You go ahead and clean house. You do this your way and and, and turn this around. And I feel like he's done that. But the only way you're going to clear out that reputation is not by getting defensive and and screaming like, you can't say that about us. It's by going out there and winning. And again, I'll be clear. I haven't heard anything from the team complaining about this. I'm just surprised that Suns fans, not just on social media, like friends of mine that are Suns fans are like, well, I can't believe Oubre would say that. <laughs>
1: Seriously? Seriously. He's, been, he's now in the most stable organization he's ever been a part of in his pro career because he's been in Washington which is kind of a mess usually and they're not winning and then he's come to Phoenix where it was they're going in the right direction but they're nowhere near where the Warriors are and to
0: be fair most teams aren't right I mean the Warriors have been basketball royalty over the last half decade so I don't know I was just I I was not shocked at all and this is why I didn't really talk about it yesterday I wasn't shocked at all by his comments I thought very little of them when they happened and the athletic thing like I said, you kind of have to read between the lines and make your own connections there, but I- I'm not offended by that either. I don't feel like that's a shot at DeAndre Ayton or Devin Booker. I, I just don't feel like that's the case at all. But when I saw the reaction and when I heard the reaction, I started asking people today for their reaction. I was surprised it wasn't just 100% unanimous, like, yeah, you know, big deal. I still like Oubre. Whatever. We'll- we'll- hopefully the team can change that image. Instead, it's like, no! He
1: can't say that. I'm like, oh. By the way, you mentioned how James Jones is They've kind of cleaned house. Yeah. They really have. The only players left from the Ryan McDonough era are Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. Well that's after fine. they waved Elia Kobo <laughs> that's the <fine>. other day. <laughs>
0: Those are the only players we need. Isn't to that compete. crazy though? Like yeah. they're all gone. Yeah. It's um it is crazy, but it's necessary. I think I saw a stat over the weekend that the longest tenured member of the Pelicans is Zion. <laughs> He's played like thirty <laughs> games. That's, so wow. You got but that's the thing. If you're gonna turn it around, and, and this is not about the Pelicans, I don't know all their ins and outs, but I mean with the sun specifically, what you were doing wasn't working. And this is why I'm encouraged by the team, the front office, I'm encouraged by Sarver. What we've seen in the last two years is is If you want to get good in sports, in professional sports, where every team is competing at the highest level, if you want to get good, you need to first be honest with yourself about why you've been bad. You cannot sit there and hide and be like, no, everybody else's perception of us is wrong. We won 22 games last year. No, you got to look and say, what are we doing wrong? Let's fix it. And the reason that I am encouraged as I have this conversation right now is that I feel like the team is fixing it. And I feel like they've been doing it now for a year and a half, they've really been getting into it. And I think we're going to see, we already saw some of the fruits of that labor in the bubble, but the, you know, the bubbles, eight games, that means a lot to us here. It means nothing to anybody else nationally. I think next year we're going to see the Suns make a mark nationally, but a big part of that was identifying that you had weaknesses and going out there and fixing it, not just getting offended. If anybody called you out for it. All right. When we come back, we'll get back into that Cardinals game. What sort of Patriots team are the Cardinals running into on Sunday? Is it like a wounded animal, or is it a team that's kind of ready to pack it in? That's next. It's the Rundown with Luke Lipinski on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Keeping it live and local with Luke Lipinski on the Rundown, 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Well, I'll tell you what, after that uh, Rams-Buccaneers game last night, this is great. Actually, now that I think about this mid-sentence, I'm doing a show with Jarrett Carlin on Friday morning, and him and I had a good luck to you. We had, <laughs> but we had an on-air sandwich bet before the season began because I was like, I think the Rams are decent, and it, it, he was he the Rams were an afterthought to him, and so we set the over/under wins at seven, and they're already there with six games to go. Uh, I actually tell him what kind of sandwich you want him to bring in. I want like one of those twelve-foot sandwiches. Make uh, get really difficult. Yeah, no, and I want it like imported from Italy. Like, I don't, <laughs> we didn't specify anything.
1: I want this to have to go through customs things
0: right. twice. I want it to first be brought into Canada through and then from Canada to here. Uh, I actually kind of think the Rams winning last night isn't the worst thing for the Cardinals. It drops the Buccaneers to the second wild card, it puts the Seahawks as the first wild card. Technically, the Rams right now are in first in the NFC West, but in doing so. It really keeps a lot of this within the Cardinals' control. They still have two games against the Rams. If you sweep those, decent chance you just win the NFC West outright. Now, maybe a sweep is a lot to ask because the Cardinals have had a ton of time, just a tough time with the, uh, the Rams really over the last four or five years now and with all different coaches, Bruce Arians included. They got better in their second game against the Rams last year, but it was still a loss. It was just a closer loss. Like, for whatever reason, they just cannot beat the Rams. They're going to have to do that, regardless of what happened last night. But this way, if you do that, and if you somehow swept them, like I said, you're in the driver's seat in the division. Even if you split with them, though, the fact that Tampa Bay lost last night still puts you in a decent spot to go after that number 1 wild card. And again, that number 1 wild card right now is playing the Eagles. In the first round, you're better off being the number one wild card than like Green Bay right now. Green Bay would play Tampa Bay in the first round. If you're the Packers and you're seven and three and you are running away with your division, do you really want your reward to be facing that Tampa Bay team? Whereas Seattle is currently the number one wild card. They'd get the Eagles in the first round. (laughs) So I actually I understand why people wanted Tampa to win last night. But I actually think in a way it's 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 at least not the worst thing in the world that the Rams won. It just makes that division more difficult, but again, the Cardinals still have two games against the Rams and one against the 49ers. I would like it in this team's control, and it is. I'm interested, though, in what sort of team they're going to be facing on Sunday. You know that a team coached by Bill Belichick is going to throw some stuff at you that you haven't seen. That's just to be expected. But the Patriots after they lost to Houston over the weekend, are now 4-6. and Here's the teams ahead of the Patriots in the AFC. Steelers, Chiefs, Bills, Colts, Titans, Browns, Raiders, Ravens, Dolphins. Patriots are tied with the Broncos for 10th in the AFC. If they lose this weekend to the Cardinals, they're done. There's too many teams they would have to jump, and they might be three games behind all those teams. I'm the guy that would never count the Patriots out, If they lose to the Cardinals this week, they're done. As a Cardinals fan, just enjoy the fact that your team has a chance to, I'm not going to say end the Patriots dynasty. I would say if anybody did that, it was either the Dolphins or the Titans last year. But basically, finish them off this season. So again, that begs the question, are you going to get a Patriots team that is just a wounded animal backed into a corner and they're more dangerous than ever? Or are you going to get a Patriots team that's kind of like, eh, we're done. Even if we win, we're done. Like, can you lean on them early and just kind of crush their spirit? This is Mike Reese, ESPN, NFL Nation covers the Pats on with Bickley and Murata today, talking about that Houston loss and what it did to New England. Crushing, you know. I, I think the the idea was maybe you, you get that game, which you should get if you want to go where you want to go, and you're five and five with six games to play, and maybe you can make a run, you know, sort of like you did actually in 2001 when they won that first Super Bowl. They had been 5-5 five and five that year, and then they sort of went on a tear. That was a year they weren't the most talented team, uh, but they have ended up playing as the best team, you know, when it counted. I think that was sort of the formula that some in New England were hoping might be in play, and now you sort of take a huge step back and say at 4-6, and six, you know, do you just sort of say, hey, this is what it is, it's a rebuilding year, or do you sort of cling to that last hope that maybe you could turn this thing around? It's never going to be easy beating the Patriots in Foxborough with Bill Belichick at the helm. It's just That's never going to be the case. So it's not like the Cardinals are going to go in there and the Patriots are going to have rolled over because they lost to Houston. I'm not saying that at all. But maybe you could jump on them in the first half. And really put them in a tough spot. I mean, the Cardinals have trailed at halftime 7 out of 10 games. I, if nothing else, I would like to see that change this weekend. But like, if you're the Cardinals and you get up 17-7 at halftime, is that really that much to ask against the New England team that you are better than on paper? You get up 17-7, to that Patriots team, A, isn't really built to come back. And B, at some point, it's going to be in the back of their mind that their season's probably over if you can do that. Because that team right now is a mix of guys that are used to winning 12, 13 games a year and they're just frustrated, or guys that haven't really been there and tasted the success and they don't know how to win yet. So if you could jump on them in the first half, you could make your life a lot easier this weekend if you're the Cardinals.
1: I'm the bad guy. Duh. That was the weirdest music that I've ever played. It's the strangest transition music. I should have probably listened to that before I hit play. I thought somebody was in the studio. Uh,
0: I thought that was all it was going to say, and there was no music. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a whole different segment. Phoenix Suns over under win total this year. Have you seen this yet, Cody? No, I haven't. Okay, so they have 72 games this season, so it's obviously a little bit different than in years past when they had the 82. Last year, the Suns went 34 and 39, counting everything in the bubble. So 34 wins last year when they played 73 games. What would the what do you guess the win total is for this year? Or how about this? Just what do you think the Suns are going to win total games this year out of seventy two? Hmm, I know it's um, tough because you know how many games Chris Paul is going to play. All that, stuff, yeah. But I like I could see this team going. I could see them going like forty-one and thirty. I was going to say around forty. Yeah, yeah. the over under is thirty-seven and a half. Oh, really? I feel pretty confident. I feel like they're going to get over that. Yeah. And you always kind of wonder, too. I mean, a lot of that is set, I guess it's set by Vegas, but some of it is set by the way the betting public feels about your team. That's why I like to reference these sometimes going into the season because that is the national perception of the Phoenix Suns. And all these, I think that's the seventh highest win total in the the Western Conference. So that right there, I feel like they're they're better than the seventh best team in the conference. It's a tough conference, though. There's not really any teams I look at in the West, and I'm like, well, they're terrible. I guess, I guess Minnesota and Sacramento should be the two last place teams, but they've got talent on those teams, and I still think Sacramento kind of lucked out getting Halliburton where they did, and now they can pair him with Aaron Fox, and yeah, we'll see. Um 37.5 seems a little bit low, though. And so I do wonder if maybe as much as we, like we played the audio of Kendrick Perkins earlier this week, whether uh, it's from late last week, saying he thinks the Suns could go to the, the Western Conference Finals, and they are getting more and more buzz, and, and, and trust me, 95% of that is simply because they added Chris Paul. I think there's still a lot of people out there that the Suns could sneak up on this season. Not like other teams in the league, but I just think if they do what most of us here locally believe they can do, they're going to surprise a lot of fans and maybe even some media members nationally because I, mean, I guess to be fair, they were 26 and 39 going into the bubble last season, which feels like it was 10 years ago and also like a week ago. This has been a strange year. But 34 out of out of 73 games total last season, I think they're going to hit at least 38 wins going forward uh, this upcoming season out of 72 games. All right, we come back. We are going to wrap it up with the top five Passing duos in the NFL. We're gonna see we're gonna see how these lists compare. That's next. It's the rundown with Luke Lipinski on 987 FM Arizona Sports Station. It's the rundown with Luke Lapinski, 987 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Final segment of the show because we have All Aboard coming up at 7 o'clock and just a reminder ASU's game against Utah, ASU football. ASU basketball is still on for tomorrow but ASU's football game against Utah this uh, weekend is off the board so hopefully ASU plays December 5th against UCLA but it's not ideal to go a month between games and uh, they've played one game now in almost a calendar year so and of course it was a gut wrenching loss. Just to make sure all of us ASU fans it was really so got much to enjoy fun. That. Yeah, so glad they got to play that one game. Now I'd much rather that the USC game had gotten canceled and they'd gotten to play these other ones. But with that in mind, we're going to shift back to football. Tonight's top five: the top five passing duos in the NFL, and I guess the groundwork for this, the way this came about, was was the uh, the Buccaneers Rams game last night. You look at Tampa Bay; they are obviously a very dangerous team in the NFC. But it's—I I don't look at Tampa and be like, "Oh yeah, that's that's the Brady to Evans show, or that's the Brady to Godwin show, or that's the Brady to Gronk show, or that's the Brady to Brown show." You know what I mean? Like Brady doesn't have one guy he's throwing to. So, given that, given what the Cardinals have done this season, given the uh, the way that Chiefs Raiders game played out on Sunday night. This is the top five passing duo, so it's just a quarterback and whoever's catching from them. It's not a bunch of guys. It's not Brady to his teammates. you got to pick one. It doesn't have to necessarily be a wide receiver. It can be whoever. It can be an eligible offensive lineman if you want. So top five, Bear, I'll let you go first. Okay.
1: Number five five for me, you might think this is shocking, but Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, number five. I would not say that's shocking. Okay. I had number five, though.
0: Ah... No, I wouldn't. I'm, I'm not shocked. Okay. This is also, I guess, the best way. We were trying to come up with this out in the newsroom uh, before the show. If if you had to, I don't know, you had to make a, a bet with a friend that you don't like very much, like you don't like <laughs> losing too. I guess that would be an enemy. <laughs> Uh, which one would you feel most confident? Yes. If every NFL team's playing this weekend, which one are you most confident? Yes. This quarterback's going to throw to this receiver or whoever for 100 yards and a touchdown. Yes. Which ones in the NFL right now on November 24th are you most confident in? My number five one, I, I was really surprised actually I couldn't find more of these. Okay. Number five, I have Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf. Yeah. Um,
1: some of the lists I, I I look at lists for reference. Yeah, and most said Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. One I looked at oh. was preseason, like yeah. going into 2020, and they had Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett. Not even DK Metcalf.
0: Oh yeah, no, I I, I would go Metcalf. I just, yeah, I was surprised. Me too. I I don't know. I because well, a lot of times when I think of the Seahawks, I just think Russell Wilson and spreads the ball around. Metcalf's yeah. kind of taken over this year, so yeah, that's number five on mine.
1: All right, number four, Kyler Murray. And DeAndre Hopkins.
0: Yeah, I wanted, I was wondering where that would show up on this yeah, list. Yeah, it's hard to argue, I think.
1: DeAndre Hopkins is, I think, still leading the league in yards.
0: He's having I a think he's. Good t-
1: I think he retook it from Stefan Diggs because the Bills were on a bye this week.
0: Yeah, that's. Uh, he's six yards up on Stephon Diggs. and, and oh, Six yards, wow. <laughs> but, I mean, they both played ten games, yeah. then, so it's fair. Okay, cool. Um,
1: Kyler Murray, it, it's kind of shocking how quickly they've developed their chemistry yeah especially when Hopkins has that non-practice
0: he doesn't practice every day of the week you know well and they had no preseason so right it is remarkable they're already number four in the league my number four is Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs uh it's that's certainly one still on the rise they haven't proven it for like years and years like some of the other ones on this list have but you just read off uh, Stephon Diggs' numbers He's got six yes less receiving yards Than DeAndre Hopkins So he's doing something right And uh, so is Josh Allen Yeah my number three is the,
1: Those guys, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs I didn't know how good Stephon Diggs was going to be when he moved To Buffalo, he's been even better I feel like Than he was in Minnesota And it's, it's, it's pretty crazy How How big of a leap Josh Allen Has taken this year too Like And the
0: Bill How much better he is than Kirk Cousins You can just say it Well okay Fine Fine
1: (laughs) But like you were saying If you were to pick You know A duo to get you 100 yards And a touchdown The Bills Like they don't care They'll throw it every down Yeah They don't care so, I mean, if I'm going to make that bet, I'm going to put these two high on my list.
0: Well, and Diggs is very clearly the main guy. Yes. There, they think. have
1: a really good cast of receivers, but he's by far their best receiver. Yeah. It's not like Tampa where they, you know, have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown and Gronk. And Scott Miller, apparently. And um, Cameron Brait. Yeah.
0: Uh, I don't even know how to respond to that. I've, I have uh, Hopkins and, and Kyler at number three okay. on, on uh, this list, too. And honestly, when we first started making the list, I was like, they're going to be number one. And then <laughs> I realized there's two other duos that it's really tough to to beat. But I tell you what, my top three are all very close. Like if you told yeah, me, hey, yeah. you got to b- b- bet a house payment <laughs> on the on Kyler and Hopkins hooking up for 100 yards and a touchdown this weekend, yeah, I'd, I'd feel okay. I'm not not a a gambling man, but if I had to, that's a duo I would take. Uh, My number two, Aaron
1: Rodgers and Devontae Adams. That's my two as well. Uh, Devontae Adams is the only above average receiver that the Packers have, and he's really, really, really good. And... Yeah, it seems like every I have him on a fantasy team, so I've been pretty lucky with that. Yeah. And he seems to get at least a hundred yards
0: and a touchdown every every week, it seems. So he's uh he's been hurt this year. Not like a lot, but he missed two yeah. games. He has eight hundred forty eight eight hundred and forty seven receiving yards, sixty eight receptions. This is all over eight games mm-hmm. and ten touchdowns. In his last five games, <laughs> he has eight touchdowns. Yes. That's ridiculous. He's gone so good. well over a hundred four times this season. He's flirted with two hundred a couple times this season. And like you said, they refuse to give Aaron Rodgers any help in the passing game. They just continue to draft like backup quarterbacks or you know whatever <laughs> or defense. Yeah. When Devonte Adams first got there, I remember too. Like he, yeah, he struggled with catching the football. Now he catches everything, no yep. matter where it is. So yeah, that's uh, I have Rogers to Adams number two on my list as well. Do we have the same number one too? I'm guessing so. I'll just go. I'll go first. Okay. Patrick
1: Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. Yeah, I have Patrick Mahomes on my list twice.
0: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, that game against the Raiders, it's not like it showed us anything that we we didn't already know. Yeah, but. Kelsey's pretty much uncoverable. He is.
1: It's crazy. We used to... You know, Gronk used to be that way, uncoverable. Yeah. And I feel like Travis
0: Kelsey is much better than Gronk was in his peak. I I feel like... I don't know if this is controversial or not, but I feel like Patrick Mahomes right now is... Better than Brady was Ooh. for a good chunk of Brady's career. Like, I'm, I'm just like saying, like, the last year. talent-wise?
1: Yeah, just talent-wise. Yeah, wise. yeah, yeah.
0: Brady won the Super Bowls. I'm not taking that away from him, but I'm just saying, like, going forward now, obviously Mahomes doesn't have six Super Bowl rings because he's been in the league for, what, three years. Right. Um, And he didn't even play one of the years. But I'm just saying, going forward, like, it's so difficult to cover Travis Kelsey, but it's that much more difficult because... Mahomes is so much more mobile than Brady was and he's just got that cannon and we saw it on the the last scoring play of that game against the Raiders but it's not the only time we've seen it. You know, Kelsey makes a move and you just really can't cover him. Mahomes if he gets by the first pass rusher, it's a touchdown. That's it. That's yeah. just, just it.
1: He's <laughs> so he's just so big. Like, you really want, you're, okay, you're going to ask, what, linebackers to cover him and try to tackle him? Well, you can't then have a, a corner s- cover a him. A safety? Yeah. Those
0: guys can't cover a guy like Travis Kelsey. And it's not like Kelsey was, I mean, he's always been good. He's yeah. always been like, oh, he's been a really good tight end. But it's not like he was putting up these numbers last year. He's got 896 receiving yards and seven touchdowns. The only two players in the NFL with more receiving yards than Travis Kelsey right now. And again, this is a tight end. So in theory, they're not throwing to him nearly as much. Stephon Diggs by 10 yards, DeAndre Hopkins by 16 yards. That's incredible. That's a tight end, and he's got seven touchdowns, and it just, that's why it's really hard for me to pick anybody other than the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl, because I have yet to see anybody that can consistently shut down that combination this year, and like you said, he's also got Tyree Kill, and Nicole Hardman, and Sammy Watkins when he plays, and... Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Helaire, like it's it's absurd what the Chiefs have. Their defense looks a little shaky, but uh, their offenses—it almost doesn't matter though. I no. mean,
1: th- if their defense can be decent, they're going to win.
0: Yeah, if it can just be respectable. All right, so my top five was five was uh, Russell Wilson to DK Metcalf, four Josh Allen to Stephon Diggs, three Kyler to Hopkins, two Rogers to Adams, one Mahomes to Kelsey.
1: The only difference on my list was besides order was I had Mahomes twice. Number five, Mahomes and Tyree
0: Hill. You know, I was was there any other one that you were like, oh, maybe I would put them in? Uh, Drew Brees and Alvin Kamara. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Since bad. Drew Brees can't throw it past ten yards anymore, that's that's true. The one that I kind of looked at, and I would never put it on the list yet, but Justin Herbert's a Keenan Allen. Yes, getting, I was
1: thinking about that's getting that.
0: Interesting. Carolina, Teddy Bridgewater's had a good year, but he's thrown to three different guys plus running backs. All right, that's going to do it for us here tonight. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to Cody Fincher behind the glass. I'm Luke Lipinski. This has been The Rundown on 98.7 FM, Arizona sports station.